everyone. Welcome to The Donut of Truth, a podcast about emergency medicine. I'm your host, Dakota Farrell. I'm a third-year emergency medicine resident and will be taking you on this journey. The purpose of this podcast is to shed some light on the life of an emergency medicine provider for our friends, family, and the curious mind. A few disclaimers before we begin. Content is not intended for medical advice or care. The views and opinions of those on this podcast are ours alone and are not the views and opinions of our employer or healthcare system. Any clinical cases or patient presentations discussed during this podcast are hypothetical or have had the patient's personal identification removed or HIPAA compliance. Welcome back to the Donut of Truth. I've got special guest, Dr. Alan Rice. Uh, yeah. Can someone tell me what a donut of truth is? Sure. The donut of truth is a colloquial term used to describe a machine called a CT scanner. CT stands for computerized tomography. It's a large donut-shaped machine that takes a bunch of x-rays in a circle, and it's pretty good at looking at bones and blood vessels and some soft tissues. When patients come into the emergency department and the diagnosis is uncertain, very often the answer can be found by running them through the CT scanner. Hence the name, the donut of truth. Alan is a PGY3 uh, resident with me. I've known him now for almost three years. Um, I know that you used to have really long hair. I used to have hair. Okay. <laughs> for, for the listeners who can't see me, I'm a, a 45-year-old bald guy. So. <laughs> Wear sunscreen. Um, all right. So let's get into a little bit of medicine. Um how about you tell us a, a story or an experience you've had in the emergency department that's kind of been ingrained in your memory? Oh, definitely. Uh, and I, I don't know if you've heard this story. But this I tell lots of stories. Um, I was a third-year medical, no, fourth-year medical student. I was rotating in Tennessee, a very busy level one trauma center. And for those of you who aren't in medicine, when you're a medical student, you're not per- particularly useful. I mean, you try to be, I mean, you can check on patients and sometimes you actually can save lives as a, just because you go and, and check on people. But, uh, you know, your, your functionality is pretty limited. You're mostly there to learn. Um, you know, as terrifying as, as it is to have a med student taking care of you, the truth is other people are taking care of you. So when you're in the ED, I just wanted to be useful. I had, that was the worst part about being in medical school is you're just not useful. And so when someone calls you, says, Alan, get in here. We need you right away. I was doing the Tom Cruise run. And I come sliding to the side of the room. How can I help? Like, I'm going to save the day. And to my horror, every single, the room is packed. You have, I don't know, maybe 15 people in there. And every single person in the room is covered in blood. There's surgeons, there's anesthesia, there are nurses, there's ER doctors. Literally every person is covered in blood. The ceiling is covered in blood. The walls are covered in blood. And the patient is sitting up and he is pale and he is vomiting fist-sized clots of blood. And every time he coughs, he is rocketing blood out of his trach. Ah. Rocketing blood all across the room. And they say, get up to the head of the bed. So I get to the head of the bed. They say, we're taking his seat collar off. He had a cervical spine fracture and it was apparently unstable. But with this trach in the way... They had to get to it. So someone had to hold C-spine. So they they said, this is your job. Don't let go. I don't care what happens. You never let go of this guy's head. So they're working on it. They're working on it. And I'm holding. And I'm actually up on the stretcher holding him. uh, Of course, getting covered in blood. And finally, they said, look, this is just not going to work. We have to take him to the OR right now. And they look at me. And they look at one nurse. And they say, okay, get him upstairs right now to the OR as fast as you can. We're going to go up there and change. 
And I was like, got it. I'm your guy, right? So I'm holding C-spine. There's no, no one could have pried me off this man's neck. And the nurse is like, great. And so she starts pushing. We get to the elevator and she looks at me. We're alone at this point. We're totally alone because the elevators were down the hall. And she looks at me and says, where's the operating room? Oh my God. <laughs> and, I, and you're a visiting student. I was a visiting student. I had no idea what oh the operating room I had absolutely no idea. And I said, of course, I'm like, what? Uh, and she says, I don't know. I think it's on this floor, but I'm not sure. Uh, Thank God she was right. We, we, you know, hit the right button on the elevator. The doors opened up and there was a team of people there. And they, you know, we, of course, rolled them on the OR and everything was fine. But uh, yeah, that's definitely one of the most memorable That's cases. an oh shit moment. It's <laughs> <laughs> definitely an oh shit moment. Oh uh, my gosh. That I, sounds pretty epic. Yeah. Yeah. There, that, that actually, uh, one more quick story. I had a, a guy come in, same rotation. He had a heart rate of 30. And that was obviously very concerning. He had a pretty scary-looking EKG, but he's up and awake and talking. They said, here, look, you know, take a quick history while we're, you know, getting pads on him and all this stuff. I said, okay. And he just goes out. He absolutely, absolutely flatlined, asystole on the monitor, nothing. So we jump on him. We maybe do, I don't know, 15 compressions, and the guy sits up. And, and he's his like, heart, stop! His heart, yeah, his heart rate goes up to 40, 50, and he sits up. And he's just kind of looking at us. And I, I'm a medical student and quite unprofessionally, I said, dude, you just died. And he goes, yeah, that's been happening. <laughs> <laughs> Only in emergency medicine can you have these stories. Yeah. I feel like uh, those first times you see anything that's crazy, it is just like a movie in your brain. You will never forget it. And it's pretty epic. You try to you try to explain what it's like to be an emergency physician to other people. You come home and... You don't share details about your patients, but you try to just explain how crazy the things that you have done throughout the day. You know, in a day, I might stab a knife into someone's chest and open it up and put tubes in. I might stick their necks, you know, with needles to save their life. I might do chest compressions. I might put a Band-Aid on a stubbed toe and everything in between. And when you try to come home and convey to my wife, you know, like, honey... You can't imagine what I saw today. <laughs> She's cooking like, oh, I'm glad you had a good day. You know, it's, just, it's just tough to Meanwhile, to you're covered in blood. Yeah. You're like, I'm going to go change. And she's like, sounds good, honey. Yeah, she's like, take off your shoes first. Right. Uh, yep. All right. So you had kids prior to going to emergency medicine. Um, and I think one of your kids is going to be a doctor. He is. is right? Yeah. Yeah. My son is uh, now uh, accepted to medical school. He'll start in the fall, which is pretty exciting. He's not sure what he wants to do yet. Um, of course. Obviously emergency medicine, <laughs> I, right? I am obviously biased to, yeah. towards emergency medicine. We'll sure. See. Sure. Um, how is that route going through it with him? Um, kind of reliving it all and helping him through that process. I, I think in a lot of ways it, inspired uh, Anthony to go into medicine, but in some ways, <laughs> I think I've ruined him. Uh, specifically, I, I was taking an infectious diseases course in college, uh, diagnosing infectious diseases. And there's this picture of uh, a young child who had a terrible worm burden. And uh, they had given this child um, drugs to you know, kill the worms. But when you do that, they they come out. They come out all at once, yeah. uh, and it's this picture of, of a child with worms coming out of him. Anthony came over as I was studying one day, and he's like, "What the hell is that?" <laughs> and then, you know, years later, 
I kind of brought that picture up and he got real serious and he said, yeah, I think about that sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) I think it left a mark. So, uh, you know, and and seeing me go through training, I think the good news is being older, uh, it's not as traumatic. Med school for me was not traumatic. There are some people that come out of medical school with PTSD, true PTSD that, you know, requires medication just because it's such a, it's a tough thing to do. Medicine, medical training is just tough. But for me, the worst thing that's ever happened is not a test, right? So I loved medical school. So I didn't, I, I hope I didn't skew his uh, view of it too much because I, uh, in a negative way, because I just, I just really enjoyed it. And I would do it again. I just don't want to pay for it again. Um, but yeah. um, we'll see. We'll see what he <laughs> ultimately chooses. So throughout our emergency medicine training, we work both in the adult emergency department as well as our pediatric emergency departments in the area. Um, tell me about, do you like working with kids? Yes, absolutely. I know I'm, I'm one of the uh, few folks in our, at least our particular group that truly enjoys working with kids, but I think it's because I've had little ones. So I'm not afraid of them. In fact, at our shifts at uh, the children's hospital uh, downtown, most of the time the kids are fine, right? It's it's mostly about telling the parents that you know, their kid's okay. And, and I'm glad you brought them in to get checked out, but as it turns out, you know, your kiddo is going to be okay, okay and send him home. And it's really hard to have a bad day when you spent most of it examining newborn, you know, healthy little newborn babies. Mm. It's just, it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, kids also say just funny, funny things. I, I had a, uh, a little girl I, after she was, I think, one and a half, two, maybe. And uh, I had just finished, you know, looking in her ears, which, of course, she was not a fan of. And uh, at the end of it, I you know, talked to the parents and she looks at me and he, she points at the door. She's, she's just dismissing me, sending me out of the room. It was just hilarious. It made everyone laugh. So uh, they, they definitely brighten the day. And they're a little less gross than adults, you know. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they I don't have kids, so <laughs> I think kids can be pretty gross sometimes. They're, they're germ, okay, to be fair, they're germ bags, right? They're little just, you know, they're little petri dishes of, of bacteria and viruses, but they're they're very cute. And, you know, when they barf, it's a little less disgusting than the, you know, the homeless guy who <laughs> just ate a hot pocket. Very true. Yeah, I feel that a lot of uh, the residents in our group don't enjoy working with peds so you are definitely a special type because you do enjoy working with the children a lot i think that with the children who are actually truly sick those can be very hard to you know be around and it can be hard to kind of digest if you know there's a bad outcome absolutely um how do you kind of go about bad experiences or bad outcomes not just with pediatrics but in general in emergency medicine yeah it's it's i it's different for both. I mean, the kids, uh, as a parent, I think, will often affect you, I don't want to say more deeply, but just differently. Um, you know, when you see the non-accidental traumas or sexual abuse cases, those those stay with me. I take those home. Uh, in adult emergency medicine, very often, it, when a patient comes in in cardiac arrest, anyone you know, who knows anything about medicine, those cases don't, very, very often, they don't go well. People whose heart stops outside of the hospital, very often they stay stopped. And so they kind of, uh, just to be blunt about it, they come in dead. And we work on them. We do everything we can to bring them back. And sometimes we get lucky and we bring them back, but very often there's just no hope. And so you don't have an opportunity to make that emotional connection with the patient. So uh, it's not that we don't feel something. We do. We absolutely do. But if you cried over every dead patient, you would cry you know, seven times a day, right? We just can't do that as ER doctors. Uh, 
but for me, the part that is emotionally trying is then going to talk to the families of that patient who just died. And to be perfectly honest with you, I get choked up every single time. I think as my training has progressed, I think I've gotten better and better at giving horrible news, especially uh, throughout my time in the ER and in the ICU. But every single time I talk to family members, I get choked up. And I think that's okay. I, I, I and, and there have been times that I've actually cried with family. And I, I don't think that's necessarily wrong because I, I think it shows the family that I do feel empathy for what they're going through. And they're obviously very upset. But it reminds me that I'm still human because sometimes we see horrible things in emergency medicine and we come home and we're not bothered by it. And you have to wonder, why am I not bothered by this? This was a horrible thing I just witnessed. How am I, am I just suppressing it? Am I, am, you know, what's, is there something wrong with me? Am I, you know, am I a psychopath? And those moments with the families uh, remind me that I'm not and just remind me that this is a defense mechanism that we all have and have to have to do our jobs. We, at some point, you have to turn off the fact that this is going to hurt the patient because you're trying to save their life. Yeah, definitely. I think we don't get a lot of training necessarily in that, the people, the conversations, um, breaking bad news. Um, it is something that just comes with emergency medicine and you just kind of start doing it. Um, no one really kind of preps you for what it's going to be like when you start doing leading those conversations you might experience them as a med student but having to be the person to walk into the room and look at a room full of you know people whose eyes are full of hope but scared and then say i'm so sorry he has died um and then explain the rest while they are sobbing in tears and you're trying to you know be there for them but you don't want to continue talking because they're not going to hear anything after that right and so it, it is hard i definitely get choked up as well um with many many cases especially the ones where families contemplating you know decisions and they choose you know comfort care or you know palliative and we're standing at bedside together and I always ask the family, tell me about them. I want to hear about their life. Tell me, what do they do for a living? Do they have kids? Do they have grandchildren? And it makes it nice um, to know who the patient is and what their life was like. And you're kind of honoring their life while they're, you know, passing away. But it it is definitely a challenging part of emergency medicine. And to go home with that burden is not easy and you don't want to put that on your you know kids your family right. your, your wife husband whatever and so we kind of come up with our own coping mechanisms whether yeah. it's kind of block it out whether it's text our friends who are also in you know emergency medicine and just say oh i had a bad case today and usually you'll get somebody up at that time saying do you want to talk about it and yeah. i've done that i've texted yeah. and said has anyone is anyone up right now and someone's Absolutely. responded and i've called them and cried to them driving home about a case yeah exactly because you don't if you were to put that on your family or spouse every single time i mean that at some point that would i think that's too much of a burden to put on on loved ones uh, so if you can put it on someone who's also doing that job they know how to deal with it right because they've been there Yeah. I think another challenging part is that these people are humans. They are, could be our parents, could be our brothers and sisters. And so I think that we, some of us can empathize with that because we've had losses, um, especially during our training, or we've, you know, experienced a sick loved one throughout our training. And we've had to be not only the family member, but the person that people are coming to about advice and what should we do with grandma or what should we do? 
And it's really hard to transition yourself from not just being the provider, but then to being the family member, but the one that's being looked at a lot. Right. And so, the one who's making those decisions, they look, they say, hey, you have medical training, so. We trust you. Right. And then you're like, well, now that burden's on me to make all the decisions. So it can be very challenging. Um, I think there's a few people in our program that have, ha- have experienced losses and it is something that yeah. is hard. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the medical training is unlike any other profession. Life continues, but throughout medical training, you will miss funerals, you will miss weddings, you will miss birthdays, and you will work sick when it would just be insane for others to work. Uh, but you have to because you're the provider. It's just a different mentality. Uh, it, it, you know, I lost my father during residency, and another resident did. And it was, uh, honestly, it's so difficult to go back to work. And at the same time, it was absolutely the best thing I could have done. Because our job is you have to be so engaged every minute. It's very fast paced. There is very little downtime. And you have to be 100% engaged. And it's, I needed that break. Because, and in fact, our program director, he said, look, take as much time as you need. And I took two days and went straight back to work because it was the best distraction. Otherwise, I would, would have just sat at home and been sad, and that would not have, I don't think, healed me in any way. And it's not that, it's not that I didn't grieve. I, I definitely did, but, man, I was thankful, you know, thankful to have this job. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it also helps us shed a light on the fact that when a patient's family member comes to you and says, what would you do if this is your... Yeah, yeah, right, Ab- absolutely. And I, I really appreciate those questions because... It allows me to be honest in a way with families that I, I'm normally not. I, I normally say, these are your options, right? You can transition to comfort care, just make this person comfortable, or you can keep this person who's probably brain dead and whatever alive f- for maybe months, years, who knows, decades. Um, those are your options. And then they look at you and say, well, what would you do, right? And then you could say, hey, look, if this was my family member, I wouldn't want them to suffer from, you know, and, and torture them with tubes and lines for the rest of their lives. You know, you can be, you can have those honest conversations. So uh, I do appreciate those questions uh, from family members when, you know, when it's not your own family. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, on a lighter note, um, how about you tell us a, a story about residency and maybe your co-residents or your experience through residency and, I don't know, tell us what your plan is for afterwards. Residency has been fun. I, I've very much enjoyed it. There have, I, I can say it's definitely had the highest highs and lowest lows of my professional life, right? You you just experience the, the, the most extremes. Again, just very different from any other uh, any other profession. I, I remember my first day of residency, and I think about how I would have handled those cases on today, maybe, or even my last day of residency. Uh, it was my second patient of the day. I'm a brand new intern, you know, in July, and so not even second patient of the day, second patient ever. Ever, right. <laughs> and the first one was, you know, fine. It was a, sort of a chest pain workup. Uh, the second patient, the chief complaint was vaginal bleeding. And I thought, okay, I can, I can deal with this. I didn't look at the vitals. <laughs> Number <laughs> because, one mistake. <laughs> right, rookie, r- rookie mistake, right? Yeah. So I just, I go, and this was back in the, the other emergency department, and I kind of threw back the curtain and this woman was actively dying. She was gray. She was bleeding to death. The nurses were there putting in uh, large bore IVs and they looked at me and said, what do you want to do? 
And I just said, I want blood. I need blood. I don't know how to make that happen. I don't even know how to order it. We just need blood. And they, said, they were like, okay, that we can do. And we ran and got blood and I ran and got my attending. And I will never forget it because uh, this particular attending who's no longer working with us, he was so good. He walked in the room. He examined that he agreed the patient immediately needed blood. He was calling OBGYN with one phone and then with the other phone took a consult at the same time. Then he puts down the phone. We do a speculum exam, puts the speculum down, picks his phone back up, and he is directing. He gets another call about a critical patient in another room. He's doing seven things at once and doing it effortlessly. He didn't even look stressed out. And I was freaking out about this one patient in front of me. It was crazy. Um, unfortunately, this patient was also on blood thinners, and there's there's a whole story uh, about OBGYN coming in. Uh, so that was you know patient number two, right? Uh, I, I don't remember which number of, I probably only saw six patients that day. This might have been uh, maybe patient number four. Again, chief complaint seemed okay. Hyperglycemia, right? So I throw back the curtain, and again, the patient is actively dying. She was in DKA, and she was about to, she was peri-arrest right there. And I, I was, and again, the nurses are scrambling. They're they're trying to put in IVs. And they're like, get out of my way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my little stethoscope. <laughs> they're like, you don't need like, that. <laughs> you don't need your stethoscope. Uh, once again, they looked at me. Okay, doctor, sort of, you know, through the side of their eyes. What do you want to do? And I said, fluids, lots of fluids. I don't know how to make that happen. Just lots of fluids. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I remember the beginning of residency. And I, I remember specifically uh, we had a, an alert come in and it was, uh, I believe it was a trauma. I can't remember specifically what the patient cases because the story itself is uh, more of the entertaining part. And I remember going to the alert and walking into the, the resuscitation bay and the patient rolls in and they are dying, like absolutely dying. And there's like one nurse in there, one tech, and me, and they're like, "Okay, um, well, let's let's begin, or like let's do something." Like nobody knew what they were doing. They all we all just kind of stared at each other, and I literally go, "I know what we need to do. Call my attending." <laughs> and I literally was like, <laughs> "I was like, I'm not doing anything. I don't know what to do. Call my attending." Call <laughs> back up. Yes. Yeah, yeah. and uh, it. it you get better, and obviously we get better, but um, there's just many cases like that I can just remember. I mean, I remember a nurse coming up to me and handing me an EKG, and I looked at it, and I was like, okay. And they're like, well, do you see anything? And I'm like, um, I see squiggly lines. <laughs> and there, he was there's like, lines and numbers. And this nurse... Uh, he was he was great. He doesn't really work with us anymore. But um, I remember him. He'd always be like, doctor. And he'd always, you know, doctor, what do you see? Doctor, this. And I'm always like, stop. I'm just a resident. Please stop. I don't know what I'm talking about. And he'd be like, well, I'm just a nurse. So then for the rest of, you know, residency, I'd always just say, I'm just a resident. And he'd be like, well, I'm just a nurse. And we always tried to put the finger, you know, point the finger at each other saying like, no, you're responsible. No, you are. And so I go to alerts today now with uh, interns. And I will go in, you know, the patient's unresponsive. I'll tube them, look at the monitors, you know, say out some point of care labs that I want and then say, okay, I'm going to go put in orders and walk away and sit down. And then they'll come up and be like, well, what do you think's going on? And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and I have to go through and like talk to them about everything. And they're like, well, you handled that great. And I'm like, you know what? I did. And it's like a nice like pat on the back. Yeah. And you're like, wow, I grew a lot. Uh, it's 
Yeah, you when you look at them, you realize how much you've grown. Yeah. So it, it's been great. I think residency overall has been awesome. I think the best part truly is my co-residents. Um, my class has been great. Uh, we all get along. We are each other's support system. We're our, what we call our fail buddies. Every time we do something stupid or mess <laughs> up or, you know, get in trouble over something, we all tell each other. Yeah. And I think that keeps residency kind of light. You know, you don't have to be perfect. It's not about getting, you know, straight A's and getting into med school anymore. It's about learning and yeah. taking again, care of patients. Again, take your job seriously, just not yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Alan, for being one of our guests on the podcast and producing it. <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks for interviewing me. I appreciate it. This is this has been fun. This has been fun. Well, we hope that you guys join us for our next podcast. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Perfect. Yay. All right. We're gonna put that on outtakes. Oh God. The outtakes would be pretty hysterical if you recorded everything inappropriate that I say. <laughs> <laughs>